welcome to Shop Talk, the real estate show. I'm Brett Van Alstein, and on today's episode, we're joined by Martin Sines, an entrepreneur, investor, advisor, author, and industry speaker on cash flow investing. Today, we discuss what note investing is, the lessons within his books, how bequest funds can help investors reach financial freedom, and how note investing can bring social good into smart investing. Hey, Martin, thanks for taking the time and joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Brett. So uh, let's just jump right into the core topic. So what is, for our audience, what is note investing? Sure. So note investing takes on a number of different forms. However, for the purposes of, of our business model and what we do, if you take um, an individual that's looking to purchase a home and they go into a bank or a lending institution, and fill out a mortgage application and it goes through underwriting and that bank <clears throat> gives a mortgage to that individual mm-hmm. at um, the, the bank has an option. They can bundle those mortgages off and sell them off into the secondary mortgage market space, or they can, they can hold them in their own portfolio. Okay. Now, what happens is um, for lending institutions that hold these, these mortgages in their own portfolio over a certain period of time, um, roughly 4% of their portfolio will go into default, the mortgages. Okay. So the, so what that means is the homeowners will stop making payments for a variety of reasons, mostly due to uh, divorce or health or loss of job. Okay. And so what happens is when those mortgages go to a defaulted state, whereby they become delinquent over the course of a year or two years, the, the lending institution will bundle those mortgages into tranches, which are large pools, and they mm-hmm. will sell them into the secondary mortgage market space. Okay. So, which is essentially like a flea market of different lenders and, and um, hedge funds that buy and sell mortgages in various states and okay. various types of mortgages, commercial, residential, and so on. So, um, what uh, we have two sides of the business. We have one that operates a hedge fund that uh, we that I launched in 2013. Mm-hmm. And so um, what the mission of that organization is, is to purchase these mortgages in defaulted states and to work with the homeowner to keep them in their home with a payment plan they can afford. So since we, we purchased these mortgages at a discount, we're able to offer concessions to the homeowner to help them stay in their homes. And oftentimes they've gotten their job back or they've gotten, you know, remarried and their Mm -hmm. health is back and something has changed over the course of a few years. So, um, so, so we, we get them, we get them uh, modified and they're making payments on time and and we season those mortgages. Now on the Bequest fund side, we, we purchase mortgages that are in a performing state and hold them in in our income fund and receive homeowner payments on a monthly basis and in turn pay our investors on a monthly basis. So it's kind of like the next step beyond the hedge fund that transforms the mortgage from a defaulted state into a profitable one. I see. Yeah. So the the two sides that you're operating are is really just a two-tier system of there's almost like a lower tier. And then there's this second tier there, the higher tier that you're working up towards or um, working, I guess, helping people get to, um, if that, does that make sense? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in, in the mortgage note industry, um, especially in particular in the defaulted side, there's two ways to exit that mm-hmm. that asset. And one is through the property and one's through the homeowner. So exit through the property, you can take a defaulted mortgage and you can start foreclosure and you can foreclose on the property and resell the property um, unless you sell it third party at the auction. You know, sell a third party at the auction or or you sell it as an REO. Either way, you're exiting through the property to get your money back to, to you know, which is a capital gains play in that case. Or the other option is to exit through the homeowner. And and that's the that's the one we choose. So we choose not to displace families. We choose to work as as much as possible to keep them in their home and create a long term cash flow stream for our company. After the break, we dive deeper into Martin's career, how he got started in note investing, and how bequest funds can help people create cash flow for financial freedom and freedom of time. Bequest funds can provide a path towards financial freedom for investors. Similarly, being a real estate agent means the sky's the limit when it comes to your earning potential, not to mention the incredible flexibility this career offers. That's why agents who value their time choose to learn online with the CE Shop, Our 100% online curriculum lets you learn what you need to succeed when it fits in your schedule. Enroll in our mobile-friendly courses today and save 25% with promo code SHOPTALK. So how did you get started with note investing? What was your sort of launching point? And I'm sure that there's a point in your career where you thought this should be my next step, but how did you really get to that point? Yeah. So, um, so I have a, uh, um, my wife and I founded a government contracting company that we sold in 2013 and, uh, I've been landlording kind of that in the, in the two thousands, I've been a landlord since two thousands on both the commercial and residential side of the fence. So, so I already had kind of, um, that entrepreneurial edge as well as understanding of the real estate market um, through through just a numerous purchases. And so um, it was just kind of a progression where um, I met up with some individuals in the in the note industry and and kind of learned about the paper side. And it just made sense to me because when you look at kind of real estate investing as a whole on a diagram, you know, mm-hmm. the bank is always kind of in the middle of, of everything, right. whether you're private money lending or your or your fix and flip or your, your uh, rehab, you know, buy and hold, whatever the case, the bank is always kind of front and center. So it it makes sense to kind of go, go that route. So what does, or I guess I should say, how does bequest fund specifically help people? And um, if people are looking to get involved with bequest, Mm -hmm. um, what does that process look like? Yeah, so we're we're what's called a five, uh, SEC 506C Reg D um, income fund. So what that means is that that we work with accredited investors, whereby accredited investors they they invest in our fund, and they you know want with one investment and they start receiving monthly payments for the rest of their life because it's set up as an evergreen fund. So that's kind of like what we call as our, our, our tagline is consistent income with real estate notes. So um, we have an 8% 
annual PREF option and a 9% annual PREF option. The 8% comes with a one-year commitment. The 9% comes with a four-year commitment. And you can invest with either um, qualified or non-qualified funds either way. Mm -hmm. And so, but with one investment, you'll start earning monthly income on that investment for as long as you want to earn the monthly income. Okay. Is there a minimum investment that you guys ask for? Yeah, there's a $50,000 minimum investment. Okay. Okay. That seems pretty standard. Mm -hmm. Um, At least in your experience, have you noticed that across the board for most, um, most requirements for investment is around $50,000. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'll see, uh, you know, 25 K you'll see 50 K, um, some more larger season funds. Um, you know, they, they could be North of a hundred K, but, but generally I think 50 K is a good rule of thumb. Okay. And do you guys operate primarily just in Florida or do you Mm -hmm. branch outside of the state? We're, we're in 34 States with our oh, wow. okay. fund. So yeah, we have mortgages spread out throughout the country. A, a okay. bulk of the portfolio is owner occupied properties. So individuals have emotional equity and, um, you know, incentive to stay in their homes and to keep sure. paying. And so we, we try to buy in suburban to tertiary markets. We, we try to stay out to uh, stay out of like highly densely populated um, urban areas as well sure. as rural areas. Okay. Interesting. And is there a reasoning behind that specifically, or is that just kind of something that you guys learned along the way through just different trials? Well, I think it's something we learned along the way. Our average uh, fair market value of, of our um, assets in our, in our portfolio is about 317,000. So, um, you know, these are, these are suburb, you know, solid kind of mid America suburban homes in HOA communities it's kind of just just uh, what we have found as, as our okay. niche. We're, sure, we're not. Sure. We don't. We in terms of urban areas. I mean, I think I, I think I would just say that we don't have expertise in every city, so we don't know right. the nuances whereby if you go one block this way, this happens to the neighborhood and everything else. But if we're in a general suburban areas where there's jobs around the areas and decent schools, we know that. Yeah, and, and the homeowner has been paying and it's a season mortgage that we bring in the fund. We know that we're protected that way. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So what you're, when you're looking out, um, you know, let's say just for either, either regionally or even by zip code, there are certain factors that you guys are looking for, um, obviously to mitigate risk. Yeah. I mean, we, we have, uh, we have yet to foreclose on a property and in our fund. So, but we understand that, um, you know, that, that, that may occur at some point. Um, we have uh 96% collectability percentage now on our portfolio. So 96% of our wow. portfolio is paying considering we buy them in at a discount, you know, that that's pretty, that's pretty good. And, right. um, so, so our, our objective is just to, um, if we do have to go down the foreclosure route, our portfolio sits at a collective 62% investment to value. So, okay. so we do have equity coverage for the most part. Our fund um, calls out that we want to keep it under 65% investment to value. So it's a very conservative fund. Um, sure. you know, obviously, there are other investments where people can you know, shoot for the moon and make 12%, 15%, whatever, but there's always risk that's associated with that. We kind of look at our fund as a very boring fund where people can kind of <laughs> set it and not worry about it and just get APH right. payments to their account every month. I think that 
that's probably what most people are looking for. And I'm sure over time you've found that, but you know, people, if they're investing Mm $50,000, they don't, they, you know, they want to know that there's a low risk. There's a good chance they're going to make, um, you know, like a good return. Whereas those high risk ones, unless you sort of have the capital to play around with that, it's not really as enticing and oftentimes can be kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like anything, like, you know, there's, um, there's a whole spectrum where investors sit. Some just have a lot of money parked in an account somewhere, not really earning anything. And then inflation's kind of chipping away at their rock and, and others are, you know, have aggressive plays in the stock market. Um, and, but, but what happens is obviously the inflation's here to stay, right. It's going to increase over the course of time. We all can, whether you're Democrat or Republican, I think you can agree on that point. Um, so, so you should hedge against that inflation with a product like Bequest that pays you consistently passive income. But on the other side, you know, there, there are people just tearing it up in the stock market and they should continue doing that if they know what they're doing. Right. However, with that said, um, there, there's a lot of stress to that type of investing because we talk to investors every day. And, and mm-hmm. what we hear is, you know, people are looking at their phones all day. They're thinking about it at night, thinking about it in the morning. And so, and so with that, I mean, um, at the end of the day, it's great to make a return, make those appreciation returns and whatnot. But, uh, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, at what cost you have to kind of sum it up. Right. And, um, that's what we feel like we, we fit in nicely in the middle whereby someone can put in money, 9%, you're going to beat inflation and, and you don't have to think about it other than just mm-hmm. look at your bank account once a month and, and see that the ACH came in. To me, it seems certainly like the best of both worlds as far as being able to invest, not having to pay attention to it mm-hmm. and knowing that you're going to get a return on it. Yeah. So you can focus on whatever it is you do for active income. You can focus right. on on creating more passive income in other vehicles. And it's just at the end of the day, it's about freedom of time. That, mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. that's what brings really quality in, in one's life, sure. I believe. Sure. No, I think most would agree with that. Um, so for Bequest Fund, it certainly seems like, um, the overall intentions and the mission of the company obviously are to help people, mm-hmm. um, outside of helping them to kind of recover. Is there an educational side that you play into this where you're actively helping people and educating them on what's going on and maybe how to avoid this in the future, or even, you know, on the flip side, um, educating investors that are getting involved, um, what, what does that look like and how does that, um, ultimately help your business? Yeah, I, I've written five books. Um, one is on government contracting ones on, on cash flow, um, just in terms of building multiple streams of income in one's life and three are on node investing. And, and so, uh, you know, just, just through my love of, uh, education and, um, and, and I'm an avid reader, I read, you know, at least a book a week. And so, and so through that, you know, I have mentored some individuals over the course of time. And uh, I do that on a very small level because, because my business is, has been growing and growing over the course of years. And mm-hmm. so, um, but, you know, with that said, I, I think that, um, I, I think it's always good to um, kind of build that community of individuals where, you know, if you, if I know something, someone else doesn't, and I can be of service, as long as that individual is willing to learn and put in the work. You know, I'm of course. I'm, I'm open to connecting and, and figuring something out. Right. 
right? We'll on a very on a very here. small level. Yeah, say, you know, I'm not a <laughs> yeah, mass. Emphasize player. that. I'm not a mass. You know, I, I don't have like a whole training operation. So no separate coaching platform for you. Yeah, <laughs> no. Well, writing five books—that's uh, certainly an undertaking. Um, yeah. Which was the first book that you wrote, and you know, when did you know that you wanted to get started with that? Yeah. So, um, note investing made easier is the first first book, and I was at church, and I uh, just felt like a calling, spiritual calling, where wow. um, it just uh, you know came to me that that I know things that other people could benefit from, and I need to get the word out. Okay. And so it was in January, uh, 2017. And then I just, I just kind of went over the course of five months and, um, and just kind of hibernated a lot, uh, for the most part and just mm-hmm. kind of put, you know, pen to paper in terms of, uh, my systems and, you know, what, what I've put together over the course of years. Wow. And how did you enjoy the process as far as, I guess there's two parts of that. There's the writing process and then there's the back end process of, you know, finding an editor, publishing all of that. Um, how did you like, I guess, both of those and how did they differ? Yeah. So, um, you know, the writing part is, uh, it's interesting because, um, your creative juices flow and, uh, and, and things come out of you that you didn't, they were in your subconscious and you just, you just didn't know you had in you. So right. it's kind of neat, um, to kind of explore your mind in that regard. The uh, editing, the uh, publishing, I'm self-published on these. So, but I did have some support. I did have some support doing that. You know, individuals that did the layout work, the artwork, um, the proofreading, um, you know, things like posting it on Amazon, getting it all set up. I I outsource Mm -hmm. a lot of that. Um, And and so that's just like, that's just like kind of, you know, process system work, you know, like it's just kind of to do right. work. It's not, not, there's no spiritual aspect to that. It's just kind of like things you got to <laughs> do, but um, right. it's, it's very good in that um, the finished product, I have had a lot of people reach out to me and I've, I've made friends, I've made business partners. I, I've made, um, I've, I've helped people and they've let me know that. And, and like mm-hmm. all that is um, being of service is, uh, it's been very important to me. So this is kind of like validates that, that I've been of service in some respect. Sure. I'm sure that feels very rewarding. One, obviously having um, written it, published it, gotten it out to the public, but then two, obviously hearing, like you had just said, getting that validation from others, um, essentially saying one great job. Thank you for writing this. That must feel really great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's always, it's always very good. Um, you know, prior to, um, me publishing any books, it's, it was, I was just in a cave and I was just kind of building my own business, the government contracting business or the buy and hold portfolio or the uh, mortgage or the hedge fund just in my own world. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so this was good that, uh, you know, uh, there, what I realize is there's just so many people that are looking for so much more than what they have in their life. And they realize that single source of income, dual income, it's not cutting it for them. They're falling behind. Um, they're not making those advancements they want in life. They're not, they're stressed out of their mind. And, um, so it's just good to know that I think more people, that do know things that can help other people, you know, improve their financial situation. I think they, they should um, be of service and, and kind of get the word out. Certainly. 
Yeah, it's almost like a, a social responsibility. Yeah, I believe it is. I believe it is because because you're not going to get that from the government. You're not going to get it from schools. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get it from uh, corporations. I mean, they're or you're not going to get it from Wall Street. You know that like right. all, all all of those bodies are kind of working together um, to keep people as you know underpaid employees. Right, right. Yeah. Why would they, you know, give away those tidbits mm-hmm. and secrets and uh, show their hand? Yes. So let's circle back uh, earlier talking about, you know, uh, where you guys primarily focus. You're focusing on um, suburban areas, not so much urban areas or rural areas. Mm-hmm. Um, over the course of the pandemic, how did your company fare and um, you know, in a economic downturn situation, how do you guys sort of handle that? Yeah. I mean, um, we came out, we came out well through the pandemic initially. Um, you know, we thought the sky was falling. We uh, talked to a number of people in the industry and, um, just to kind of gauge what their sentiment was. And, um, you know, we thought, we thought the worst and, but what it did, it made, it made us self-reflect it made us redo our, our entire operations, um, you know, metrics that we were monitoring weekly. We started monitoring mm-hmm. daily. Um, we okay. started, um, you know, scrutinizing the legal process and all the invoices and kind of built systems around safeguarding against uh, misbilling and, mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of did an evaluation on all our strategic partners and vendors. So it actually made us stronger in many regards and gave us kind of best practices that we've kind of carried forward um, to this year. And we're having, you know, a very good year this year. Okay. So um, now in terms of the moratoriums, you know, there, there are certain, um, you know, there are a lot of the states we couldn't file foreclosure or, or there was different delays and courthouse shutdown shutdowns and whatnot. And so, right. We just had to understand what we could and could not do in the various states and kind of navigate accordingly. But it also allowed us to be more creative in how we worked with the homeowners to say, hey, look, you know, we're we're not looking to file legal. That's not our intention anyway. But let's see how we can work this out, because we did we did find and this was kind of a pleasant surprise that a lot of people actually valued their homes more so during covid than prior right. to COVID. So, um, you know, I know the news media kind of puts out one narrative, but we found just a lot of people that are saying like, they're going to do without going out to happy hour on Friday night or buying a new pair of shoes, but they're sure as heck not going to lose the one place that now they're working out of, they're working out of home right. or they're, you know, uh, staring at their four walls more than they've ever done. So, so there's more of an appreciation. Sure. Yeah. That, Appreciation certainly comes out of dependency mm-hmm. when everything is kind of cut out of your, your normal routine. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And I'm sure um, most wouldn't have expected that answer. I'm sure that, um, you know, kind of what you had just said, there are these perceptions that the world was going to, mm-hmm. the sky was falling and everything was going to collapse and most homeowners weren't going to be able to make this or make that. But I think it shows um, what you had just said shows that people really buckled down and um, ultimately chose to be responsible over everything else. Yeah. And I think delinquency rates now in the country are at like 3% or something like that. They're, they're declining yeah, they're, month after month. And so, you know, people are getting back on their feet and um, I don't think it's going to be this kind of world 
crashing down the scenario that, that, that you've kind of heard out there in terms of the real estate market. Right, right, right. And that's, I mean, that's definitely a good sign and um, certainly uplifting to hear compared to what you usually hear. Mm-hmm. Now you should prepare. So, I mean, right? Do yeah, certainly. Prepare for the worst, right? <laughs> don't don't get me wrong. <laughs> like we're you know we're code red on everything, but but you know but but be realistic and and uh, and you know uh, understand that um, as long as you're the, the real the key to it is having disciplines in place whereby you're monitoring your KPIs and all your metrics in place on a daily basis, and you're reacting you know, to, to what, you know, you're, you're proactive in your approach to, to everything, then you'll, you'll be fine as, as a hedge fund operator, or real estate investor, what have you. Right. And I think if you take that, if you apply that to most everything in life, if you're proactive, instead of always being reactive, mm-hmm. um, obviously you'll fare a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. So um, final question about um, Quest funds and you know how you operate. Uh, how is your fund structured? Mm-hmm. Um, and apologies if we've already covered that. No, no, that's fine. It's it's um it's set up as a what's called the five hundred six C Reg D income fund with the SEC, and so um, it's a fifty million dollar fund. And and uh, this this is our latest offering. We we launched it in uh, February of two thousand twenty. Um, currently has about 7 million assets under management. And so, um, you know, we have investors from all over the country and we, it's a $50,000 minimum to come in. Half our investors use self-directed IRA money and half use, you know, non-qualified funds. And so you can come in with cash or you can come in with a, with IRA money. And uh, we, we've helped a lot of people get set up with self-directed IRAs as kind of a service to, to help them take control of their finances. Um, a lot of our investors are, if we profile them, which we have, um, are successful business owners or real estate investors that have done well over the course of time. So these are individuals that have worked and, and probably any high income earner can relate to this. Individuals that have worked so incredibly hard for active income that they appreciate passive income. <laughs> so, so yeah. and they're and they're not looking for they're not looking to be glued to their phone all day, you know, seeing what the stock market's doing or what's going on in some other country that's affecting the stock market or or somebody said this and it's affecting the stock market. They just want something they don't have to think about. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, and that makes sense, especially if they're um, you know, in that position of working incredibly hard to, you know, have that income to be able to create opportunities of passive income. Yeah. Yep. So looking back on your career, if you could go back and change one thing or do one thing differently, what would it be and why? Yeah. So um, building systems out on an ongoing basis from the very beginning. So, um, you know, building the business with the exit in mind, would be would probably be the number one thing. So um, it kind of gives you control over your business when when you have all the systems mapped out. You can plug new individuals in. You can measure existing employees um, to see who's fitting, who's not fitting. And um, so so your systems really give you um, a security blanket for how your your business is operating. When you don't have those systems documented and mapped out, 
in, in an organized fashion, what happens is you allow um, employees and people that, you know, 1099 or what have you, individuals control, um, can have control over you. So sure. um, as a business owner, it's just important to have control over your operation because at the end of the day, the buck stops with you, all the risk stops with you. So you might as well have kind of control over your operation in that regard. Okay. Awesome. So Martin, if people are looking to get in contact with you, um, you know, maybe purchase a book, uh, you know, kind of learn a little bit more about bequest funds, uh, where would you point people? Where, where should people head to? Yeah. You can go to martinsigns.com, uh, M-A-R-T-I-N-S-A-E-N-Z.com. You can okay. email me at martin at bqfunds.com. Okay. Uh, it'd be a great way to get in touch. Awesome. I'll be sure to have that on our publishing page just so that, um, you know, people can click on the link really easily. I'll share all your social profiles. I'll make sure that there's, you know, links out to your books. So if people want to get into that, they can. Uh, but thank you so much for taking the time to hop on the podcast and educate myself and the listeners on note investing and bequest funds and, you know, who you are and how you uh, can help people. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate it. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to us and leave a review on your podcast player of choice. Shop Talk is a production of The CE Shop.